are in the prophetic end time, and we know with all of the dangers occurring, Israel invading Gaza and all of the problems in Syria, the rest of the Mideast, and an airliner being shot down by, allegedly, the uh, rebels in eastern Ukraine, uh, pro-Russian supporters. Uh, we know we're living in very dangerous times. And we know that in the end time, with all of these pressures, that we need to be close to one another. We need to be loving one another. Let's turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Ephesians 4. We each have a part in the body. Christ is the head of that body. Ephesians 4, verse 16, tells us that he is the head of the body from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We certainly have a major degree of love and comfort and care for one another here in the Charlotte congregation, so we really appreciate that. Ephesians 4 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Of course, we can say there are many important chapters in the Bible, but let's start with verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Some Church of God congregations, or I should say fellowships, uh, don't really agree with that, that God has not set offices of authority in the church. Uh, they're wrong. They are for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I remember... Dr. Meredith's sermon on the fullness of Christ, the stature of Christ, a very inspiring sermon. I'm sure it's available on the lcg.org website. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. We heard some of that trickery in the sermonette and how you're given a two-choice question, but there is a third choice uh, if we really know our Bible and really know the truth. By the trickery of men and the cunning deceit, craftiness, and deceitful plotting. Verse 15 is the emphasis I want you to focus on here. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Some people speak the truth in hate. So those are two major elements. What is truth? And what is love? And are we communicating that way? One of the ways we grow up in Christ is speaking the truth in love. So how important is the quality of our communication? How important is the way we communicate with our words, in our texting, in our phone calls, in our conversation? Have you said something you shouldn't have said this past week? Well, God has given us different ways to communicate, but the most fundamental and vital way is through human language. We text words. We think in words. We read the words of Christ and the apostles and the prophets. We we speak in words. And it is by speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, even Christ. 
The title of the sermon today is Words of Truth. Do you speak the truth in love? Do you speak words of truth? Our language, our communications must effectively use words of truth. The Bible uses that expression, words of truth, three times. Let's take a look at those briefly, starting back in Proverbs 22 and verse 20. Proverbs 22 and verse 20. The whole book of Proverbs is a commentary on wisdom and on the use of language and communication. Proverbs 22 and verse 20. Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth? God wants us to internalize His truth that you may answer words of truth to those who send you. Just as we saw in the sermonette, the example of Jesus Responding to the Pharisees, I mean the Sadducees. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Uh, Solomon, as you know, had a thousand uh, songs, it was, uh, thousands of proverbs. Uh, he was very wise. God gave him that wisdom. He still taught the people knowledge. He pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by all of these. Of making many books, there's no end, and many study. Much study is wearisome to the flesh. Uh, We've all gone through that, those who have been in uh, college uh, classes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all, or this is the whole duty of man, as one other translation has it. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil, as we'll see later, every idle word as well. But he said in verse 10, what was written was upright, words of truth. Turn to Acts, the 26th chapter. Acts 26. Someday we may all, or maybe some of us, be brought before certain judges or kings or magistrates and challenged on our belief. The Apostle Paul was challenged several times. He was brought before different courts, before the king, and in one case uh, here before King Agrippa and uh, Governor Felix. Acts, the 26th chapter, I get there, and verse 24. Acts 26 and verse 24. Now, the Apostle Paul was defending the accusations. As you know, the Jews had uh, tried to uh, get him arrested and killed in Jerusalem, and then he was Rescued, the Romans took him up to uh, Caesarea. And so uh, King Agrippa said, well, the Jews better come up here if they want to present uh, accusations against the Apostle Paul, against Paul. Here, Acts 26 and verse 24. Now, as he, that is Paul, thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has driven you mad. How would you answer that? If you're 
before Festus. But he said, that is of the Apostle Paul, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. I speak the words of truth and reason. We all need to have that character, that integrity, that in the future, at any time even now, if we're challenged, do you know what you believe? Can you speak the words of truth and reason? I might just mention in passing here, of course, that he showed, uh, I suppose in some ways a little ironic, but uh, showed respect, most noble Festus. (laughs) Here you are accusing me, but oh, most noble Festus. Uh, He gave his defense. So God has given us different ways to communicate, but again, the most fundamental and vital way is through human language. So do we speak the truth in love? And do you speak the truth in faith? There's actually uh, one expression that we'll look at here a little later. We've been emphasizing the sevenfold mission of the church. We need to build an atmosphere of radiant faith. That's Mission number seven, we need to live by faith, we need to speak the words of truth, and we need to speak the words of faith. Let's just turn here to 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, 1 Timothy 4. We are all growing in the faith of Christ. 1 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul, of course, is uh, admonishing the young evangelist Timothy, Second Timothy, I'm sorry, First Timothy, the fourth chapter, in uh, the verse six. If you instruct the brethren in these things, which he's given some uh, admonition in the first few verses, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. So verse 6, he tells us to be nourished in the words of faith. So how important are your words? I want to talk briefly about the importance of words. God's ministers have a responsibility to preach the word. Let's turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And verse 1, here we have this charge. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. The Apostle Paul is really setting up this charge to Timothy. This is extremely important. I'm charging you before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. What do we ministers have to do? Preach the Word. We need to know the Word, internalize the Word, live by every Word of God, but preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Like King James has all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And when you take a look at uh, one of the publications that shares all of the uh, the fragments and uh, fractures of churches of God, you see there are so many different doctrines and ideas that are just not sound doctrine. And this prophecy is true in our day and age. 
They have heaped to themselves teachers who will turn away their ears away from the truth and be assigned to fables. But God's ministers are charged with speaking the truth. What is the word, of course, that the Apostle Paul is referring to? It's the Bible. It's the Scripture. It's the mind of God, as Dr. Meredith would refer to it. And Jesus said in John 6.63, The words that I speak unto you, the words that I speak unto you, are spirit and life. So how important are God's words? They are spirit and they are life. We have a choice. Do you choose life or do you choose death? As it tells us in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So most of us here in the congregation, I hope all of us, are following that instruction that we are choosing life. Let's turn to James, the third chapter. If you want to know what chapter in the Bible talks about the use of the tongue and language, James, the third chapter, has quite a major commentary on the use of the tongue. James 3 and verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive the stricter judgment. Those students sometimes, instead of proving all things, accept what the teacher says. The teacher needs to know his subject. He needs to know it thoroughly, and he needs to have it documented. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. We know that God wants us to overcome ourselves, the world, and Satan. It's a major ongoing battle day by day. If we do not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. When we were up in Cincinnati, we had the privilege of... uh, visiting with Mr. Everett Wayne. He was a horse whisperer and uh, actually had a a horse uh, there, had two horses in the stables, and show how he he just grabbed the lip of the horse and began to work with him. Uh, He's retired now, but uh, very famous. He was able to control horses, uh, horses that were ill-behaved, and to uh, not break them with, uh, with violence, but to break them in a different way uh, as the horse whisperer, you know the techniques if you've ever seen that movie or re- read, uh, read the book on the horse whisperer. But uh, just this huge animal and can be controlled just by a bit in its mouth. Verse 4, look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Uh, some of you may have seen the movie on the or the commentary or the a history documentary on the German battleship, the Bismarck. Uh, it was in uh, 1941. It was out uh, in the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, the greatest, uh, strongest, most uh, armored by battleship of its time. And the British were trying to get at it, and they had torpedo planes, and the torpedoes would just bounce against the side of that ship. It was so powerful, that is, the Bismarck, that just one shot from it went through the uh, battle cruiser hood, the British ship, and just exploded it, and out of 
1,400 British sailors, only three survived. So the Bismarck was quite a powerful weapon. But one of those torpedoes hit the rudder of the Bismarck, and the rudder of the Bismarck was was jammed, so the Bismarck was just going around in circles. And so the, the uh, British ships and cruisers and airplanes were able to destroy the Bismarck, but that rudder uh, was stuck, and they could not, uh, could not ex- escape. It's a small thing, but it's like the tongue. He goes on to say, even the tongue is a little member, verse 5, James 3, and boasts great things. <laughs> See how great a forest the little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Defiles the whole body. And sets on fire the course of nature. Are we using our tongues and language to God's honor and glory? And it is set on fire by hell, or Gehenna. I'm not sure there's Gehenna or Hades in this case. He goes on to give other analogies about the tongue. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. We've been to SeaWorld. We've seen Shamu, the killer whale, and and how just a little young lady, 125 pounds, can rule that two-ton killer whale. But no man, verse 8, can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father. And so you may have hypocrites who on the surface think they are religious, but underneath hate their brother. And with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So we see the power of the tongue. As he said in verse 5, even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. You may want to hold your place there and turn back to Matthew, the 12th chapter. Matthew 12, we see Christ's admonition about our speech and language. Matthew 12 and verse 35. Come in Mark 12, Matthew 12. Verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil, tre- out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word men shall speak, they shall be held, a, give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Now just think, God has a record of your whole life. Every second of our life, God has a record of it. And He has a record of every word you've ever thought and every word you've ever spoken. Does that mean you've had it and you are condemned to hellfire? No, not if you repent of it. Because if you said something wrong and you know that you have and you 
apologize for it or you ask God's forgiveness for it and you determine I won't say that again, I'll be more on guard in the future, and you ask for God's forgiveness, the blood of Christ will put that under judgment and it won't be brought up in the judgment because you have repented of it and you've had it put under the blood of Christ. But we need to understand the importance of our words. Every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. That's how important it is. We have a sermon number 471 on the power of the word, the power of words. You think about the power of speech and famous speeches. I went on the uh, Internet and found out what are the most famous speeches in history. Now, dozens of websites that will give you uh, famous speeches and how important they were in all history. Uh, some even refer to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but they don't have that as number one. I would put perhaps as number one either God's voice at creation, let there be light. I'd say that would have been one of the most important uh, speeches in all history. And the voice of God which people heard at Mount Sinai of the Ten Commandments. Talk about important speeches in history. Maybe you have some in mind. But number one uh, that was given on one of the websites of historic speeches was uh, Prime Minister Winston Churchill. <clears throat> well, that was, that was uh, We Shall Fight on the Beaches, uh, 1940 by Winston Churchill. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. That's just an excerpt from the speech that some websites rank as the number one speech in history. Of course, we may have different ideas. Number two was the Gettysburg Address by President Abraham Lincoln in 1863. Uh, number three was I the Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King in 1963. Well, these men used the power of words to influence and to motivate people. Today, God is using us, the weak of the world, to use the power not of just words, but the power of his word. We're witnessing to the world. We're preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, the good news in the words of the gospel to the world. God is using us to turn many to righteousness, and for which we can be very thankful. We pray every day that God will open more doors for the gospel and that we go through with greater power. And thank you for your prayers, because there are doors opening up and the resources are coming in. We certainly thank you for that prayer. So just to summarize the first section here is that the Apostle James illustrated the power of speech and of the tongue. He said in James 3, verse 6, The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Now we can use the gift of speech for good, 
or for evil but god has given us a responsibility to use that gift to his honor and to his glory so how can we make sure that we can use that gift in a godly way because it comes out of the heart we turn back to james the third chapter again and we find a solution of how to make sure that we are speaking good things, as Jesus said, is out of the heart, of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James, the third chapter, verse 13. Right after he's discussed this seemingly paradox of a, a mouth that can speak both good and evil, Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So you again show by your works as well as your words. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Then he drops down, of course, to verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and you're a peacemaker as well. Verse 18, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we can speak the truth in love if we have godly wisdom. It's the wisdom from above. We need to pray for that in some of our Headquarters members and uh, employees have the habit of reading one chapter a day from the book of Proverbs. And so you read through the book of Proverbs once a month. And, of course, in a year's time, if you kept that up, you would read through the book of Proverbs 12 times. I remember after my freshman year in Ambassador College, I was went back to my engineering job in Norfolk, Virginia, at the Regional Planning Commission. And I was reading from Proverbs every day. And it, it really helped me because there are several instances. I, I guess I should share one. I think I've shared with before. I was commuting from Norfolk to Virginia Beach, and I was walking back about a mile from the Atlantic Boulevard to where my apartment was on a lake. And this, uh, I, as I got near the apartment, this little boy started throwing rocks at me. I'm thinking, is this boy throwing stones at me? I guess he is throwing some whiz, whiz. Yeah, I guess he really is throwing stones at me. And, so I went over and grabbed his hand, so dropped the rocks. But right then, his father came up in this big, huge Cadillac Eldorado convertible, big guy with uh, hairy legs, Bermuda shorts, and said, you don't touch my boy! And I was about ready, you know, football mode to attack him, but I, this, the proverb came to mind, Proverbs 51. Anger stirs up strife. But a soft answer turns away wrath. And I was about ready to go. I said, I'm sorry, sir. And he said, don't do that again. So anyway, Proverbs helped me. He was just reading that every day. And uh, I'm sure you've had experience as well. Maybe you haven't had experiences like that. But uh, uh, Proverbs really helps every day. Uh, Proverbs 9.10, you all know that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So what determines our words, our comments, and our communication? I went ahead of the story and quoted it. I'll just read the the scripture to you. He says, 
Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, Jesus is saying, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. So Jesus is saying, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, you need godly character to speak good things. And we've had several sermons on character. Dr. Meredith's sermon number 179, build Christian character. Uh, number 449, the importance of character by Dr. Meredith. You also have growing in godly character, number 664 and 667, uh, character and your emotions, a very important sermon, uh, number 720, because your emotions affect what you say, whether you control yourself from saying something you shouldn't say, or you're angry and you blast out something that is negative. And then we have uh, the Pentecost sermon that was sent out for 2014, The Character of First Fruits by Mr. Dexter Wakefield. So what's your character that counts? And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're going to speak words, you need to have a pure heart. Let's uh, follow up on that thought about the idea that who you are and what you are determines what you say. Proverbs 23, Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, and this again is a fundamental truth when we realize what affects our speech and our communication, and what affects who we are and what we are. Proverbs 23 and verse 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Verse 6, do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As we think, that's who and what we are. And so how can we have a pure heart? How can we change? How can young people have a pure heart? There's a scripture that applies directly to that, Psalm 119 and verse 9. Psalm 119 and verse 9. So young people need to mark your Bibles where there are specific instructions for young men, young women. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? Well, I don't know that my way needs to be cleansed. Oh, I think most young men have ways that need cleansing. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. All of the problems that we're having, so many of these problems in society, even across the United States and our Western world, is why? Because parents are not teaching their children the Ten Commandments. And they have no idea what is right and wrong. And they are taking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as we heard in the sermonette. If we teach our children the Ten Commandments, they will know that murder is wrong. They will know that adultery is wrong. They will know that covetousness is wrong. They will know that lying is wrong. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. 
With my whole heart have I sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might sin, not, not sin against you. While we're here in Psalm, we might just turn to Proverbs 30, or Proverbs 3, first of all. Proverbs, third chapter. There's so many principles, you may want to have a particular color highlighter and go through the book of Psalms and Proverbs and highlight anything that has to do with the tongue, words, mouth, uh, speech, language, here in Proverbs, the third chapter, verse 5. Proverbs 3, of course, you need every chapter is filled with uh, wisdom and guidance, but verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. So it's a matter of our, our walking in God's way, always walking in God's way. Proverbs, the 30th chapter, Proverbs 30, probably describes, it was not necessarily a prophecy, but certainly describes to a great extent our society today. Proverbs 30 and verse 11, There is a generation that curses its father, and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. But Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We need to purify our hearts. We'll just take a look at one more scripture along that line, First Peter, the first chapter. How pure is your heart? How pure are your thoughts? 1 Peter, the first chapter, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. How do you purify your souls? In obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere, sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. So yes, we need to be purified in every way. We briefly discussed character and the gift of language. And Jesus said we're accountable for every idle word we speak. We speak, but we need to speak words, not idly, but speak those words to edify, to love, to preach the truth, to preach the gospel, to encourage, to inspire others. What messages we send depend upon our character. But what really is in your heart and in your mind? We need to ask God to be writing His laws on our hearts and on our minds. So are you internalizing that as a part of the new covenant that we spoke about in the previous sermon? <clears throat> that God is writing His laws on our hearts and on our minds. We're living that way and we're speaking the truth in love. How can we speak the truth in love? Another way is through a principle that Dr. Meredith mentioned here in passing just a few weeks ago. You know, in my sermon notes, I will flag a statement. I might put QQ next to it, meaning quotable quote, that there's something I want to pay attention to and come back to. 
Over the years, I've accumulated quite a list of quotable quotes, but one of them was from Ambassador College Big Sandy back around the middle 1970s. Dr. Meredith was a, a guest speaker from Pasadena, came over to the Big Sandy campus, and I just I don't remember all the other words that he said, but I did write down that QQ quotable quote, Saturate your mind with the Word of God. Saturate your mind with the Word of God. You will grow in godly character that way, and of course you need to study it. The time will come when you will be examined for your faith and your stand and understanding of the truth and of doctrine. Maybe you've already been questioned about your faith. What do you believe? And why do you believe it? In the past, I've encouraged church members to write a paper titled, What I Believe. The exercise can help build your faith and give you more boldness and assurance. And I know that those who've done it have been very helped by that because they knew where they stood in terms of the doctrine and of the Bible truth. So we need to know what we believe. We need to know the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 8, and verse 32. Let's turn to 1 John, in the second chapter, 1 John 2. And I mentioned it in the previous sermon, quoting from Dr. Douglas O'Neill's sermon on how do we build faith, and one of them is to know and prove God. Well, here's... A very powerful statement in 1 John, the second chapter, verse 3. 1 John 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. It's not just a matter that we believe God exists. It's not just a matter that we know God exists. But we know that we know God exists. And of course, John was writing to counteract the influence of the Gnostics who claim to have gnosis or claim to have knowledge. And John is saying, not only do we know, but we know that we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. And that's how. First Peter, the third chapter, First Peter 3. We will have to give a defense sometimes. Some of you may have already given defense. Some of our church members in the past had to stand before draft boards as conscientious objectors, and they had to give an account of their belief and why they, on the basis of the Bible, uh, could not believe in going to war or being a part of the military. 1 Peter, the third chapter, uh, verse 15. You know that. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You need to know what you believe. Of course, the King James has given answer. New King James has give a defense. And Jesus said, yes, there is coming a time when you will have to give a defense. You'll have to stand up for what you believe. Matthew, the 10th chapter. Matthew 10. Matthew 10 and verse 17. But beware of men, 
He says he's sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves in verse 16. Matthew 10, verse 17. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about what, how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you shall speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now is God just going to give you something that you never knew about, never heard about, never studied, never read, had no knowledge about? No. God is going to bring to your remembrance those things that you know. He gives us that promise in John 14, is it, uh, John 14, 26, I think it is. So, remember, yes, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I have spoken unto you, or that I have said to you. That's John 14, verse 26. I know some of you uh, have... Uh, an ability to remember scriptural references. And when I think of John 14, 26, this is an aside, I think of Proverbs 14, 26, which says, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. Well, you know the first martyr, Stephen, had to give a defense. So you might take a look at that briefly in Acts, the seventh chapter, Acts 7. How will you do when you are questioned for your faith and for your belief? You need to have the knowledge. So here in Acts, the seventh chapter, he's uh, already been accused of uh, stirring up the people and uh, setting up false, they set up false witnesses to say that he had uh, blasphemed. And so chapter 7 of Acts, verse 1, the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. And so for 49 verses, Stephen gives the history of Israel. And he's saying, Look, I am a part of your family. I'm a part of the family of Israel. I know all about Abraham and Moses and what they did, and I'm telling you how God worked with them. And he comes up to about verse 40. 50, after he's spoken for 49 verses, and all of a sudden the atmosphere changes. We don't know what happened. Instead of just a narrative, he now goes on the attack. And the verse 51 says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Was Stephen speaking the truth in love? Yes, he was. Was Jesus speaking the truth and love in Matthew 23, 23, when he said, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites? Yes, he was speaking the truth, and he was speaking it in love. But here Stephen gave a defense, and as you know, he did ask for forgiveness for them. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge, as he was being executed. Philippians 4, verse 8. Philippians 4 and verse 8, we think about those things that are true and honest and pure. You know that scripture by heart, but when we think about our character 
and speaking the words of faith, the words of truth. Philippians 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, just, pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good, of a good report, if there be any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Or the King James, think on these things. These things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So as you think, as a man thinks, so is he. What are your thoughts? Remember, I shared that with you before, but I asked my wife one time, what what to you is one of the most inspiring activities or relationships with God? And I, I'm not sure what the question was, but the answer my wife gave me was that we can think the very thoughts of God. Well, God wants us to think in a godly way. We had a sermon on uh, godly meditation. I think that's available on our website. So we want to think on those things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. Think, meditate on these things. I taught speech classes at Ambassador College, both Pasadena and Big Sandy, for more than 22 years. And one of the principles I would teach the students is to, of course, many ones, but I'll just emphasize one now, is to upgrade the level of your expression. Of course, back in the, uh, was it the 60s or 70s, the hippies, you know, uh, the hippie language of the time was, like man, you know, like man, you know, man, like you know. They had a vocabulary of four words. And our students needed to upgrade the level of their expression as well. Of course, some of the society had rubbed off on them. And I would say, look, instead of using the generic word thing, what's, oh, there's that thing. Well, well, no, it's a yellow striped crystal glass vase. So you upgrade the level of your expression. And I said, well, you use the word stuff. You know, we think about that stuff, and we did that stuff, and this stuff. I said, no, look, you got to use something a little better than the word stuff. Like, it's a Samsonite red leather 30-inch suitcase. That's better than stuff. I was uh, kind of educating one of the teenagers in a Bible study uh, back years ago. I said, but Mr. Ames, don't you know that when Samuel was trying to find Saul to anoint him as king... Saul was hiding among the stuff. So anyway, the teenagers got me on that one. That was 1 Samuel 10, uh, verse 22. And, uh, you know, the King James Version. But that's, you know, students, that's uh, 17th century language. And in the King James Version, the word stuff occurs 15 times. But in the New King, King James Version, it only occurs once. So... The New King James Version upgraded the level of expression. This is in Joshua 7, verse 11. And our spokesman club, you know, our spokesmen are familiar with the section on increase your word power. It has several sections. Be word conscious. Read widely. And I learned that from my classes with Dr. Meredith in speech class. One of the principles he gave was read widely. Of course, you heard me about the... We used to encourage the girls to date widely, too, as well. And 
and uh, uh, that is the men to date widely. And uh, we'd have uh, forums or assemblies saying, men, you've got to date widely. You've got to go out and date our students. And so one girl had a T-shirt, I'm widely, date widely. So anyway, she said, but we need to get the dictionary habit, read widely, use the word, as in the uh, Spokesman Club manual, set a goal for yourself, increase your verb vocabulary, because verbs are the powerhouses of language They make your speech flow. So that's from the um, Ambassador Spokesman Club Manual. Turn back to Ecclesiastes, the 10th chapter, for another perspective on our language. Ecclesiastes, 10th chapter. Ecclesiastes 10. Starting with uh, verse 11. The serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. And we know of people as ministers who are gossipers or slanderers. I'm not speaking of any one particular here in the local congregation, but over the years, the babbler is no different. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. Do you have gracious words? Would anyone ever say of you, you are gracious? But the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness. And the end of his talk is raving madness. What are gracious words? Let's turn back to uh, Luke, the fourth chapter. Luke 4, we certainly want to follow Christ's example. He spoke the truth in love. When he went back to Nazareth, as where he had been brought up, Luke 4, verse 16. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue and on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And then he quoted from the book of Isaiah and said that Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, verse 21. Verse 22, So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? They marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Do you speak gracious words? I think of my friend who died in February 2012, Mr. Bob Howington. He was a deacon in Brazelton, Georgia. He's one of the most gracious, one of the most patient men I have ever known. And I think of the word graciousness or gracious, I think of Mr. Bob Howington. Gracious, the definition is, from Merriam-Webster, showing a natural kindness and courtesy, especially in social situations. So do you, brethren, show kindness and courtesy in your social situations, in your communication, your speech, and your messages? Our attitude must be one of always showing respect toward others. You know Philippians... Second chapter and, and verse 5, 
where he says, esteem others better than yourselves. I won't turn there. Let's turn to Titus, the third chapter, Titus 3. We need to show courtesy and respect towards others. And I'm sure in the South, of course, parents teach their children, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. And and, uh, you find a certain degree of respectability and courtesy in the culture of certain southern areas. But here in Titus 3 and verse 1, we find an attitude of uh, communication. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Now, just to qualify speak evil of no one, does not mean you are ignorant of evil. In other words, if something, if someone killed someone, you're not speaking evil of him, you're stating a reality, you're stating a fact. And even in our communications, we have in the Spokesman Club Manual a speech titled, Get the Facts, so we know what we're talking about. But to speak no evil as of no one to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. In the uh, New English translation, it says, they must not slander anyone, but be peaceable, gentle, showing complete courtesy to all people. Whereas the New King James has showing all humility to all people. So we need to have that idea of courtesy and humility when we are speaking with others. And uh, think about what we already read when Paul was before King Agrippa and Governor Festus, that he still showed respect to the office of the governor. But he said, remember I quoted from Acts 26:25, I am not mad, most noble Festus. So he even respected the office of the governor, even his defense. And I think it's remarkable when you think about Daniel, Uh, being thrown in the lion's den, and here he was, a a Jew from, a captive Jew from the Holy Land, and uh, had to be before King Nebuchadnezzar and later before King Darius. What did he say to King Darius? Here's this carnal, pagan king, and what does Daniel say to him? O king, live forever. Of course, that was a common salutation perhaps, expression, and if uh, King Darius repents and is in the white throne judgment, he will live forever. So uh, at least we see in the hist- historically that God's people have shown respect to the various offices. That's Daniel 6.21, by the way. So the Apostle Paul instructed us in Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So we want to be gracious, we want to be courteous, we want to be respectful. And I've encouraged you in the past and my students in the past to use five basic words that help to smooth relationships and communications. They're simply, number one, please. Number two, Thank you. Number three, you're welcome. Number four, I'm sorry. 
Number five, how may I help you? Now, just those five expressions can go a long way in helping relationships. And so when my wife, you know, criticizes me and says, you aren't uh, doing A, B, and C, and I say, well, thank you. See, it's just very, it helps the communication. It's so simple. But it's a blessing to be able to communicate in a loving way and to speak the truth in love. But one major principle is to avoid conflict. And this is a lesson I learned actually many years ago. And you might turn to Matthew, uh, the fifth chapter. I was on a baptizing tour with Mr. Frank McCready in the summer of 1964. And uh, he would ask me a question, and I would just rattle off something. And he'd ask the question again, and I'd rattle off something. And he'd say, answer the question. And that principle has is, is followed me through many, many decades now, I guess, uh, more than 50 51, 50 years ago this summer on that baptizing tour, answer the question. You know, what time is it? Well, what are you asking me for? You know, you, you don't get that kind of answer. That's not speaking the truth in love. Uh, what time is it? So, well, did you know that um, the oldest chronometers were built back in 1963? No, I asked you a question what time it is, and I didn't want a history on chronometers. So Jesus makes it very plain here in Matthew 5, in verse 23, regarding our communication. Uh, Matthew 5. I say it, well, actually back up here to verse 22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool shall be in danger of hellfire or of Gehenna. Why did he say that? Because the attitude is one of murder. It's one of hate. And so he says, no, you, you cannot do that. You cannot have that kind of attitude when you're communicating with others. And he says, let your yes be yes and your no, no, in terms of swearing. It is verse uh, 36 nor shall you swear by your head because you cannot make one hair white or black. Verse 37, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And I find myself uh, transgressing that and more recently been able to discipline myself and not say, well, uh, you know, the father may ask the teenage boy, well, did you damage the front fender? Well, yes, but, and he goes on with a long story and saying, yeah, but it was your fault. <laughs> Let your yes be yes and your no, no. And be careful, he says, for whatever comes more than this, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So you really need to monitor your communication. And make sure that you aren't trying to uh, justify yourself in a self-righteous way and something you've done that you've been accused of doing wrong. Maybe you're really wrong, but you won't admit the uh, uh, culpability, the, the wrong part of it. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. So, brethren, strive to upgrade the level of your expression. Esteem others better than yourself. Strive to be gracious. 
And let your yes be yes and your no, no. The next section is going to be a little more brief. I would normally have uh, highlighted quite a few sections in Proverbs, but just to emphasize what I instructed you before, read the book of Proverbs. God gives us admonitions in the book of Proverbs regarding our tongue. We have sermon number 238, Godly Wisdom. You have 359, sermon number 359, Seven Pillars of Wisdom by Dr. Douglas Winnale. And here in Charlotte on March 22nd, you heard a sermon titled Examination of Wisdom by Mr. Jim Meredith. Let's take a look at a few of those in Proverbs. And I encourage you to highlight, whether a yellow or pink or green highlighter, uh, all those sections that have to do with speech, communication, words, your language. As Jesus said, every idle word that man shall speak will be held and accountable in the day of judgment. Proverbs 10 and uh, verse 19. Proverbs 10, verse 19. The multitude of words. Uh Uh-oh. The multitude of words. How many of you speak multitude of words? In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains, restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. And then back in verse 17, He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. Chapter 16, verse 24. So we have to be careful that we aren't just spouting off just so we are entertaining ourselves with our own words. Chapter 16, verse 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Yes, we need to encourage one another as time goes on in this end time. We heard about that in the sermonette, to encourage one another. We... uh, Mr. McNair mentioned the preteen camp in West Virginia, how the encouragement led to uh, over 80 bullseyes or 100 bullseyes because of encouragement by the supervisor. So we encourage one another. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bone. Chapter 17, verse 27. We'll move along more quickly here. He who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. And verse uh, chapter 8, chapter 18, verse 8. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. They go down into the innermost body. So God does not want us to be talebearers. Chapter 19, verse 27. Chapter 19, verse 27. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. One of the characteristics of converted Christians is a teachable attitude. Jesus had disciples. That meant students. 
We are all students of Christ, and we want that teachable attitude. So we never want to cease listening to instruction, as he says here in verse 27, Proverbs 19, or else you will stray from the words of knowledge. There are many other principles for effective communication. Let's turn to James, the first chapter, that we don't have time to, of course, consider in this sermon. One is think before you speak. Another one is be a good listener. And so he tells us here in James chapter 1 and verse 19, James 1 verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, to be a good listener, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So you're very careful in what you say, and then, of course, the whole matter of conduct, being a light to the world. You're not a loud speaker. You're not saying words. It's by your light. And uh, 1 Peter 3 emphasizes that point for wives. 1 Peter 3 and verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives while they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. And I know a couple cases in which the husband uh, was a member, the wife was not, and 11 years later, after his example, she was converted. And another case in which the wife was a wonderful example for 12 years, and the husband was converted after 12 years because of that chaste conduct by setting such a good example. So there are times when we don't speak up, but there are times when we need to speak up. We need to have to know the wisdom to know the difference. So study these keys in your Bible for effective communication. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Give thanks instead of murmuring and complaining. Internalize the truth and the desire to speak the truth in love. We'll conclude with two more scriptures. Turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, something that I know is a, a prayer for several of you because you know this mentioned to me this is one of your favorite scriptures. Psalm 19 and verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So it's what you meditate on will reflect, be reflected in your words, and our prayer needs to have that heartfelt appeal to God to guide our speech, to guide our language. Turn to Psalm 141. Psalm 141. There's another major principle, we pray that God will set a guard at our mouth. And you just think of a, uh, a guard, maybe with a, a sword standing right by your mouth. <laughs> if you're going to say something wrong, that sword's going to come, wow! You better be careful. But that's what the prayer is in Psalm 141 and verse 2. Psalm 41 
Let my prayer. Oh, sorry, you got the wrong. Do I got the wrong? Yes, verse 3. Set a guard, O eternal, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. Just imagine a guard in the front of your mouth. He says, let my prayer be set before you as incense. Verse 3, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So of all the creatures on earth, God has given human beings the gift of words and language. The power of words can kill and can destroy. Or the power of words can save, encourage, and inspire hope. God has given his people a work of faith and he expects us to communicate with words of faith and words of truth. Jesus Christ is the word who is made flesh. He was the Logos. And if he, the word, is living his life in us, we'll be able to speak the truth in love regularly. So brethren, saturate your mind with the word of God. Upgrade the level of your expression. Grow in wisdom and in the character of Christ. And purify your heart with God's word. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, as Jesus said. So this coming week, let us speak the truth in love. Let us monitor our messages. Let's control our tongue. Let's encourage others with words of faith and words of truth. And pray that the truth of God, the word of God, and the gospel of the kingdom will go out in greater power and greater effectiveness the world around the world. And pray every day. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer.